When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, and at long last, finally a topic worthy of the ears of you fine listeners. You have been forced to reckon with some of the most sturgid conversation you can imagine. But today, the offense of the Georgia Bulldogs is on the docket, and you shall be entertained and informed. And now, here are your hosts. Doug, Les Maru, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Maines. All right, so we're going to talk about Georgia offense, Ohio State defense, and I might retire that. That might be it. We did this last week. We did Ohio State offense, Georgia defense, which is like the Mark Nathan, the marquee, right? When you think of this game, you think of that, right? Nobody is saying, Stetson Bennett, Tommy Eichenberg, give me that juice, we're talking about Jalen Carter on the Georgia defense and C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, but, Nathan, I think we've seen enough times like in college football games where it's like, oh, yes, the other matchup is actually the thing that sometimes determines these games, right? No doubt. And I think in some cases, both of these programs probably think this side of the ball doesn't get enough credit for how good they've been this year. And yeah. for, in Georgia's case, for two years. Yeah. So we're going to start like we did on the other pod. We're going to go through three important guys on the Georgia side of things and three important guys on the Ohio State side of things. And I'll start with Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, the fourth, we have to start with him. We all watch multiple Georgia games, again, to kind of dig in on this. I don't know, Stephen, he is, I don't know that I have seen a quarterback or an offense. I have a terrible memory. But in trying to evaluate an Ohio State opponent, that it feels like rhythm is so important to them. Because I feel like at times they look like two different offenses. And when they get rolling and when Stetson Bennett gets rolling, it's like, man, that guy's pretty good. And then he'll get off and it's like, oh, okay, now he's throwing behind guys. And that seemed like an odd decision. And... The good Stetson Bennett has been around, I think, the last year and a half far more than the iffy Stetson Bennett. But I feel like, Stephen, the iffy Stetson Bennett still lurks in there somewhere. And it's going to be so vital for Ohio State 
to try to get him off his game because I feel like there's almost a connection. I feel like the Georgia offense feeds off the Georgia defense and like they get a score, then Georgia defense gets a three and out. And now Stetson Bennett's like, let's go, let's go. Here they go again. And like that combination, man, when they're on, they're on. But you can, right, you watch Stetson. There's still times when it's like, okay, I, I feel like I could see the Ohio State defense, how they could get him off his game. He's J.J. McCarthy. That's what I felt like I was watching in some of these games here, where it's, when it's there, it's on. I mean, Ohio State found out what on for J.J. McCarthy can mean on uh, November 26th. But then there are moments where you're like, you almost don't want to give him too long of a leash. You want to allow him to feel confident out there without getting the irrational part, which I think when you're a great player, you kind of let that irrational confidence rise because it can lead to them cooking a little bit. With guys like J.J. McCarthy and Cincy Bennett, you want to do it within reason and within structure, especially since his wide receiver weapons aren't necessarily up to par the same way some of the other weapons on this team are. But, yeah, it's weird watching him because when it's on, it's special. But then there are other moments where it's like, why is this dude the starting quarterback again? When you watch him, Nathan, do you think he's good? I think he's good. I don't think he's bad, certainly. And I think he's not good in the way that Ohio State quarterbacks are good. He's not polished. I don't look at him and say, I I know how that guy f- is going to be a first-round pick and fit into an NFL offense quickly, the way I do C.J. Stroud and I did for Justin Fields. But... Are there things that he does very effectively at this stage of his career? Absolutely. The way that he can throw while moving, the way that I think he has a quick release that helps him at times that we're going to talk about in some other aspects of, of how they how that helps them offensively. So to me, it is a guy who doesn't need to be great because the rest of the team has been so great. But he has had to be he has had to be good enough to win big games and they've done that. He saved him against Missouri. They really mm-hmm. should have lost to Missouri. They were lucky to win that game. And guess what? If they would have lost to Missouri, we'd pretty much probably be here anyway. I guess Michigan would be the one seed, and they would have jerry-rigged it, I think, to make TCU the four. They, I don't yeah. think it means we would have gotten Ohio State-Michigan. But Georgia would still be the one-loss SEC champ, and I don't think it would have mattered that much. So it's like, oh, they almost lost. They needed him. He saved him in that game. I think you can't talk about Stetson Bennett without talking about Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator. And again, I am endlessly fascinated by the idea that Todd Monken's failures in Cleveland, not as much his as like the Browns failures in general, turned into the salvation of Georgia football because he went from being the Browns offensive coordinator in 2019 to being Georgia's offensive coordinator. And the imaginary world, I don't even know how many dimensions you would have to create for this world to exist, where Freddie Kitchens is the successful longtime head coach of the Cleveland Browns and Todd Monken remains his offensive coordinator. George is a different team, I think, because the one thing that I have thought, so I think there are comparisons between Georgia and Michigan, and there are other ways they're not comparisons. Georgia is not going to run it as much as Michigan. They don't want to run it as much as Michigan. But I feel, Nathan, when you watch Georgia, just as we, I think, last year especially, but again this year, you can feel the connection in the Michigan run game where they do this, then they do that. Then they run a little jet sweep to a guy. Then they run inside. Then they run wide. 
And it feels like an artistry to the way Michigan calls a game with what it wants to do. I feel, I think you can feel the artistry of the way Todd Monken calls a game. And I feel like every Georgia play is connected to the next Georgia play. And I do think there's a reasonable criticism sometimes for Ohio State is, do you feel that the same way? That this leads to this, this leads to this, this sets up this, here we go. That I think is so effective to, to Stetson Bennett's effectiveness, Nathan, because if you want a team to throw the running backs, man, these guys throw swing passes and set up screens. They throw swing passes to the running backs and they throw screens to everybody. They throw screens to Lad McConkey. They throw screens to Brock Bowers. They throw screens to Kenny McIntosh. That's a receiver, a tight end, and a running back. They throw screens to everybody. Stetson Bennett gets a lot of easy throws. And then once he gets going and he feels it, then he is ripping 15 to 18 yard throws over the middle of the field. And it's like, and now they're off to the races. But I feel like Todd Monken knows exactly what Stetson Bennett is and isn't. And he helps Stetson Bennett maximize himself. And when that connection from play caller to quarterback is at its best, Stetson Bennett, his confidence grows. He's nimble. He's a good athlete. He's a good athlete. But when he gets confident, Nathan, that's when this offense gets really not dangerous necessarily in the way you would think about it, but like ridiculously efficient, ruthlessly efficient. I think they can be absolutely ruthlessly efficient without throwing the ball more than 15 yards on air yards, right? But it's beautiful sometimes, is it not? Like, and Stetson Bennett at the helm, it's like, man, I trust this guy. So this is probably too simplistic of an explanation, but maybe, or, or description, you guys can decide. But it's, it's, to me, it's like the difference between the offense enhancing the players as opposed to the players enhancing the offense. Does that make sense? We're like, this is a system. This is a organism that operates together and it's, it's, it's misdirection and it's using leverage and it's folding defenses in on each other. And, and you do have, I mean, Brock Bowers is going to play and be, I think great in the NFL from day one. We're going to talk a lot about more about him, but a lot of the other guys you watch in this offense, you're not necessarily blown. They don't blast off the screen the way Marvin Harrison jr. Blasts off the screen. And even like Trevin Henderson at his best, like blasts off the screen. But when you see Ohio state get in a situation where it's trying to win big games with, uh, by involving Xavier Johnson or even Kate Stover, guys like that, is it? Be, it, it that's where this. Is, I was having some of the same thoughts as you, making that direct comparison to Ohio State. Like maybe that doesn't fit as much for what Ohio State wants to do, but it kind of fits perfectly for what Georgia wants to do because the infrastructure is set up, and that's what they execute out of every single time. So, Stephen, you kind of mentioned this of like pulling back the reins, right, on Stetson Bennett. Like they, okay, when they let him go and when they don't. There were at least two very direct instances in the games that I watched. One was the was it the Kentucky game where he threw yeah. the terrible pick down yeah. the field, mm-hmm. and then so the next drive, I think they came out and they went run, run, incomplete pass, and the next drive they scored a touchdown on like an eight play drive. He threw the ball once, and it was like mm-hmm. Stetson, you made a mistake. You're not allowed to throw it anymore. And they did that again. I think. In another game, what is the LSU game where they had a, they they had a fumble the- on an exchange in the LSU game? It was a sloppy exchange, fumble. LSU scores, yeah. starts to make it a game, and they come out again and march. They marched 95 yards for a touchdown on seven runs and a screen pass. They let them throw one screen pass. Baker Mayfield in 2019, 
when Todd Monken was the offensive coordinator, had 22 touchdown passes and 21 interceptions. Stetson Bennett this year has 20 touchdown passes and six interceptions. And I feel like I, I feel like I can see Baker Mayfield in Stetson Bennett. And I can see, and I desperately want to try to get Todd Monken to talk about this. And maybe he just has wiped everything about Cleveland from his brain and he won't. But Steven, I can almost feel, okay, this is how we got the good out of Baker. And we're going to do that. And the minute that Stetson Bennett leaks into bad Baker, Todd Monken's like, you don't get to throw it for the next 10 minutes. You blew it. We're going to run it now. Maybe I'll let you throw a screen, but I am not letting you throw it over the middle of the field because we are not going to let you lose us this game. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now we got the run game going. Stetson, are you ready? Are you ready to be good Stetson again? He's like, yes, I'm ready. And he almost is in, is in a timeout corner, right? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if that's like, I, I can't, like if Todd Bunk had left Cleveland, I was like, okay, how do I take the good of that and eliminate the bad of that? And all of that was poured into Stetson. And you made him a Heisman finalist. But, Stephen, you can feel it. They trust him right up until the moment that he screws up. And then they don't trust him. And then he has to earn it back. And it works for them. They trust him to be Stetson Bennett. Both, and I mean that in both as a compliment and as an insult to him. And it's the byproduct of a team who relies on its defense to win games. Because I don't care how good your defense is. You can't keep putting them back on the field. and. The Browns have learned that had to learn that with Baker Mayfield when they had some of those really good defenses, at least from a name brand standpoint. Georgia has the same thing these last two years, but you can't ask those guys to play eighty plays. So their their offense isn't setting up anything. Like there are times this year where you look at Ryan Days and what their play calls like. Okay, what are you setting up for later in the game? Even if he actually never ended up doing it, you're always in the back of my mind. Your mind of oh, he did this thing all week two because it set up something for week nine. George's is not really doing that. It's just more, let's eat up clock. Let's eat up clock. They're like fourth in the country in time of possession per game right now. Eat up clock, eat up clock, eat up clock, run the ball, run the ball. And when the opportunity set shows itself and it feels like Setson's at an all-time high with confidence, that's when we'll take our shot. Because you have to take some. But if most offenses take nine shots in a game, while elite offenses maybe take 12 or 13, Georgia's maybe only taking two or three. Because any more than that, things can go haywire very quickly. I, I do feel like often sometimes the way you uh, – it's the way that I take it sometimes is do they trust the quarterback is do they let him throw in the middle of the field? Because that's where it gets can get messy, right? He's really good in the middle of the field, Nathan. When he's on, again, that, that 12 to 18-yard range, a lot of times it winds up that it's a route where the receiver's coming back towards him as he catches it. You know, it's not necessarily a lot of like guys on the move that you're, it's going to turn into a 60 yard game, but it, it, there were plays again, you watch him. It's like, Oh, here's a third and seven rip first down. Oh man. They're up against it. Third and 12 rip first down. Oh, here's a third and nine. Here's a little pressure. Let him skate out of the pocket. Rip first down. There are absolutely moments where he makes throws, Nathan, that I don't know if they're tremendously difficult, but they're not a given. They're not all screens. Right. And when he's doing that in the middle of the field, he's often there was definitely some games where they were hitting receivers in the middle of the field. And then they send the tight ends down the sideline. Like a lot of times it's almost like the opposite of that. It's like, let's take shots with the receivers down the side and work the tight ends in the middle. 
they get such good matchups with Bauer, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington on linebackers. Sometimes they run a wheel routes with tight ends and trying to get one-on-one, let them loft stuff into them. But I think when he's good, Nathan, middle of the field, that's a real danger zone that Ohio State's going to have to be careful. Well, he'll eat all day on those 15-yard plays, and he gets really comfortable, and he can do it in pocket or out of structure because he is a good athlete who will throw on the move. And sometimes he has that little hop step sometimes. and almost, Again, it's kind of like Baker. Sometimes he almost looks better on the move. Like, let me get out here, whether it's I'm escaping pressure or it's a controlled rollout, but let me get out and I'll get, I'll get my feet under me that way, rip first down. Effective. Super effective when he's on. I think it probably helps his vision sometimes to get outside the pocket too, because he's not a statuesque guy back there. He's not, you know, Carson Palmer or Peyton Manning or whoever you want to say that's like the the central casting all American quarterback. He's he's a kind of a more of a squirrely guy. Not he's not a a midget, but you know what I'm saying. Like physically, that that probably works for him better. And the, the conversation about using the middle of the field is, I suppose, as much as that's a Bennett one as it is a Brock Bowers one, because that's where that guy can thrive too. But as you say, I mean, they use those receivers um, up the gut or up up the middle of the field too. And I was actually, I they from having just kind of watched them passively throughout the year. Going back and watching them, I thought there were more vertical shots than I remembered from watching them the first time around, where they will they pick their moments, but their moments are set up by things like the way that they, you know, getting both those tight ends on the field at once, who are always a terrible matchup for any team one-on-one. There's no individual matchup, I don't think, that Ohio State can put on the field for Brock Bowers that's going to be good one-on-one. So now you're starting to account for that, and now you've got a one-on-one receiver, and he gets one step, and you can take your shot at that guy, no matter who it is. Uh, and Ohio State does that, obviously, and I think even if it's someone at Georgia's level, they can do that. So I agree that I don't – yes, he does not jump off the screen as an amazing quarterback to you, but there's also – he can take advantage of a lot of things. And Ohio State has to be ready to defend a lot of things. He's not necessarily limited in terms of the ways it, with ways on the places on the field and ways within the offense that he can he can damage you. No, I don't. I don't think he's limited. I think he can do what you want to do. It's just I think is he at the point where you trust him a hundred percent of the time in every situation? And even as a veteran quarterback who's twenty five years old, I don't know that that you're all the way there with him. You still want him in the most comfortable situations from him, but I don't think you have to not run certain routes and not do certain things because he's not physically capable of doing it. Guy, guy's a good athlete. Guy can get out of the pocket, move around a little bit. He'll run a little bit too. So, okay, we had to start with him. You guys know why. But I do think in the end, comfortable, good Stetson Bennett, I think Ohio State's in trouble. If they can knock him off his game early, and I do also think, right, a lot of it's pressure. A lot of it's do you get an early lead? Do you get him You get him behind the sticks and early downs? All that kind of stuff. Oh, we just said he rips third down throws. But I do think Stetson Bennett with a lead is dangerous, right? Stetson Bennett settling in is dangerous. Stetson Bennett playing catch up and trying to go. I could see him, Stephen, like the kind of quarterback that it's like, oh, C.J. Stroud? Hit a 71-yarder to Marvin Harrison Jr.? Watch this. And it's like, that's not your game, man. Don't do that. Yep. But, like, so come out like Ohio State. I think you. I think Ohio State wants to be explosive early and then try to have Stetson Bennett play the step-for-step explosive game, and that's not his game. Because that, that, that shot against Kentucky was ridiculous. Kirby Smart, like, <laughs> met him on the field and was like, what are you doing? Yeah. 
and that was in a tight game where points were it was a 16 to 6 game right mm-hmm. so like you're steven you're nodding like that idea of i think there's a psychological component to what they try to do to stetson bennett in this game he he has a you can tell he has a gunslinger mentality without the gunslinger talent which is a bad combination of things to be we say that we've said this a lot over the last two years Ohio State's best defense is his offense I think in this game that is especially true because you almost have to force Georgia to be in a situation where it has to be okay with Bennett Stetson Bennett being like that because they have to play keep up and not how he's been the other basically 24 games as his career as a starter outside of that Alabama game where usually he's playing with the lead or he's playing in a situation where it's 17 to seven and he's got the better defense. So he can be a little bit more comfortable. They got to force sets a minute to feel like he's got to win the game for them because Georgia does not want that to be the case where they feel like they have to rely on Stetson to win. They want to feel like they have to rely on Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo and those defensive guys to win. And again, to be fair, it wasn't a high-scoring game, but the Missouri game, Georgia's behind the whole game, and Stetson Bennett made plays for them to win that game. So mm-hmm. he has done it in circumstances. But as much as we've sort of been talking about, Ryan Day mentioned it, Stephen, you know, like the idea of the, this 40-point threshold, that's Ohio State's game plan. I think it's like that's if you can somehow get in a shootout and make Stetson Bennett try to go step-for-step step with C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr., I think that's in Ohio State's favor. All right, Nathan, who's a guy for you, a Georgia offensive player, you think Ohio State has to be concerned about? I mean, I've already mentioned him a couple times. I guess we should just have the tight end conversation now, the 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 Brock Bowers conversation, and then you know by extension of that, the the Darnell Washington conversation. But really, Bowers is the one that when if you're talking about who just like smacks you in the face when you watch Georgia games, it's Brock Bowers. How do you think he would hurt Ohio State the most? Because again, I I think he's a little different than Michael Mayer. That Ohio State, I thought Ohio State did a good job on. It does feel like of some of the games that I watched, there were times when defenses were okay getting one-on-one matchups with either of the tight ends. And I was like, well, that seems like a bad idea. And Ohio State against Mayer, to me, did a better job sort of bracketing him and making sure there were two guys around him and playing some zone looks. I, I would not be super enthused about Ohio State getting in, in a bunch of single coverage man situations but i think if you can play a lot of zone and bracket both those guys and just you know maybe maybe leave this receivers to sort of be dealt with with both one guy and you clutter up everything else around the tight ends i just want nathan sometimes i was surprised it's like well that that's how you decided to defend brock bowers or darnell washington in that situation that was never going to work i think there's a, a very specific way that jim Knowles has to try to deal with them I think you ask, like, what's the way he can hurt Ohio State? I think it's everything you just said. It's that conversation and all of the permeations of it that are going to have to happen for Ohio State. Because there's a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't element here. Where, okay, you want to play a zone and you want to give him extra attention or or extra attention to both tight ends at the same time. Somebody is going to be one-on-one. And... Georgia will hit those guys sometimes. We you can go back and watch on film. Like they are, they will go vertical. As I said before, they pick their spots, but they can be, they can be big vertical. So, how are you accounting for all those things? Or not even so much accounting for all those things, but how are you know when they have to give extra attention or feel like they have to play a defense that that better harnesses those tight ends. Are your guys, are your corners winning those one-on-one battles? Are they leaving guys open or, or, or getting dusted the way we've seen some other opponents happen 
to Georgia because they'll won't again, they're not attacking vertically a lot, but Bennett has a knack for finding those guys when he has to. Do you think they can defend these tight ends, Steven? Or do you think it's a real problem? Listen, it's not stop them, but how much of a problem do you think this is for Ohio State's defense? It's because it's two of them. That's what makes it interesting. If it was just Bowers, then I'd just say, yeah, they've done it before. Michael Mayer. I wonder if they do just say, you know what? They're tight ends. And as good as Bowers is, I don't think he's Travis Kelsey as a tight end, where it's like that dude's going to have 200. I don't know. I think he's close. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, I don't know. That's, the, that's also like one of the best tight ends of all time. So I don't know. It's just, I don't know if it's crazy if we, if we get there and on December 31st, they, the, the game plan is, you know what? Bowers is going to be Bowers. Let's make sure nobody comes along with him because that's almost the bigger problem is when he's doing what he's doing, but also some of the other weapons who typically aren't stars end up having big nights along with side of him. That's when you actually have an issue. So I do wonder if they just kind of take a similar approach, just a little bit more um, sophisticated because there's two of them, but it's like Lathan, Ronnie, uh, maybe a little bit of Proctor, maybe, but mostly Lathan and Ronnie. Hey, this is your job to try to make it as tough as possible on these tight ends. But we got to make sure that the safeties are not the weak link for Ohio State. The corners are. So we got to, they got to make sure that these cornerbacks don't allow these wide receivers to in any way, shape, or form have any level of impact. And because of the weakness at corner, do you just decide, hey, Lathan and Ronnie, just make it tough for them for 60 minutes? So Stetson Bennett played 860 snaps this year, which is some indication of how often the eh, good indication, how often the first team offense was on the field. Brock Bowers played 730 snaps. So 730 of the 860 and Darnell Washington played 616 snaps. So 616 of the 860. So like they're on the field together a lot. This is their base Mm -hmm. offense is both of those tight ends. And I know people are on the lookout. Listen, Lad McConkey is a, is a, kind of a high production receiver. A.D. Mitchell is receiver who's battled injuries and is kind of their threat down the field. I'm not as scared as them. Like I, 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 the, the threat to me is that Washington and Bowers just keep the chains moving all day. And Washington is such a, a physical rare six, seven, more like 280 or 285. Every time it's like, Oh, it's less than 270. Every announcer is like, it's actually 285. I mean, it's ridiculous how big he is. And then Bowers, the way they get him the ball, Nathan, they get him the ball in so many different ways. He's not really a tight end. I mean, it's like, I don't know that you would think about Brock Bowers much different than you'd think about Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's sort of like the primary guy of your offense who kind of finds ways to get open. And so I guess his designation is tight end, but they hand him the ball. How often do you hand the ball to tight ends? They run like jet sweeps with the tight end. You know, he can hit you down the seam. He can hit you on the edge. They will throw screens to him. You know, I, 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 again, I don't know. I don't think there's an Ohio State defender that you would point to and say like that guy's the Brock, the Brock Bowers stopper. But I would just try to have two guys because, you know, a 13 catch, 141 yard Brock Bowers game is going to be a problem for Ohio State, I think. And again, Mayor, they really limited. He had one big play, and otherwise, it was not. They really, he was not moving the chains for them constantly. And if to me, I just think on third down. That's the guy you've got to stop. And if somebody else beats you, so be it. But Monken's so creative with ways of getting him the ball. Yeah, again, I, I just keep coming back. I don't even think the mayor thing is even 
a comparison here. It's a different animal. It's it's what if Notre Dame had had uh, Mayer and Jeremy Ruckert, and you had to defend both of them? Like that's a little bit what we're talking about with Georgia. It's a completely different animal. And I agree with what you're saying as far as those. I I think those guys are the better weapons than the receivers, also. But I we've seen other teams with receivers who aren't anything amazing. Um, I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head, the Arkansas state receivers name who was like, you know, five foot six or whatever, and really burned Ohio state. People weren't really talking up, you know, Cornelius Johnson in a big way for Michigan until he went out and scorched Ohio state. Like that's right now, this secondary and the cornerbacks in particular, but the whole secondary has to prove that it can contain that star, but then also not get burned by an offense that knows how to, um, how to take it shots and manipulate things and, 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 and get the ball to those guys uh, through, through scheming uh, against Ohio state's defense or um, through just, you know, um, efficiency and picking their spots. Right. So this, this defense is the one, especially coming off of the game, the last game they've played that just does have something to prove as far as uh, not fearing that that trap door could fall out. There also is a, a significant drop off in just overall production between Bowers and Washington. Like Washington has about half the usage that, that, that oh, yeah. Bowers has. So it's not uh, while it is two of them, it's still clearly a Batman, Batman, and maybe like half of what Robin is because it's not. They're not McConkie's still second on this team in, in receptions in this game. So he he he. But to, to your point, he is a production receiver. But it's not like you know Bowers has fifty two catches and Washington has forty. Bowers, 6 for 81 against LSU, 5 for 154 against Florida. That was his biggest game of the year. 5 for 121 against South Carolina, three total touchdowns, two receiving, uh, one rushing it. And then he does have a lot of other games. They had a kind of a goofy time throwing the ball into the year, some weather mm-hmm. stuff against Georgia Tech and Kentucky that really wasn't indicative of what they want to do. Um, but – you know, I said, oh, if he has 13 catches for 141, well, he doesn't have more than like seven catches in a game the whole year. Actually, he doesn't have more than six. He just has like six every game, five or six every game. So, you know, he, he is a, again, a ruthlessly effective guy, I think, when you go to him and they try to find ways to scheme him open. I think, I think he's, he's the guy that, would, that, that would, I would focus the Ohio State defense on. And then Washington, just his size is such a big deal. Again, like... You know, you run him down the seam sometimes. Again, they sort of run some of these sideline routes for the tight end. I mean, he's just – you don't see a guy that size. Um, but it's its the style of the offense because no, most of the time, no matter who it is, like those are the, kind of the routes they're throwing. Again, they take the shots at times, but McConkie and Bowers and Washington are all kind of in the same range of like more short and intermediate guys. All right, Stephen, who you want to talk about in the Georgia offense? So it, it's not – it's a running back by committee, but it's not really a running back by committee when you actually look at the usage. You know, Kenny McIntosh actually gets the bulk of the touches in terms of he's at 173 touches, which is 40 more, almost 40 more than anybody else on this team because they use him as a running back. Obviously, he's got 136 uh, rushes for 709 yards and 10 t- touchdowns, but also to the point of it, they're throwing these running back screens. Well, he's typically the guy on the other end of those passes, 37 catches for 450 yards and a score. So that's over a thousand yards of production. And uh, Kendall Milton will have a role. He actually averages the most yards per carry of the three guys between him, McIntosh and Edwards. But McIntosh is the one that they get the most creative with and how many different ways they're going to get him the ball. And it's, I mean, 
stopping the run, stopping some of these explosive plays. It, Ohio State was decent against the run against Michigan until it was time to stop explosive plays and Donovan Edwards got loose. And we've seen other opportunities where they've allowed some explosive plays in the run game. And so with, with McIntosh, whether it's a screen pass or there's him just getting handed off the ball, can you contain him and keep him from some, having some of those explosive plays? Because if Stetson Bennett's not the guy getting the explosives, and it's probably him. So Kendall Milton's their third running back. Kendall Milton's a guy of Ohio State, spent a decent amount of time trying to recruit West Coast guy. And if Kendall Milton was on Ohio State's roster, I'm pretty sure he'd start at running back sure. in the Peach Bowl. And he's Georgia's third guy. But Steven's point of it, they do they do have three guys. If you want to see, as much as like, hey, like when I asked Ryan Day this year, it's like, hey, like Trevor Henderson has one catch whatever it was, <laughs> they throw the ball to the running backs. And sometimes they're screens where they set it up and they got a bunch of blockers. And sometimes it's like up-tempo, let's go, swing pass. There's no blockers, make a move and go. And it's like a toss, but it's a pass. 37 catches for 449. That is a lot of usage for a running back. And again, if you think about Kenny McIntosh and Jay John Edwards, they're two main backs, right? Because for carries... It's McIntosh 137, Edwards 127, and then Kendall Bilton's down to 72. If you combine the yards for, for from scrimmage production, running and receiving, for the top two backs, it's 312 touches for 1,919 yards. So if they were one guy, they're like, oh, yeah, they have an All-American running back. It's like, mm-hmm. well, they just decided to split it up. J.K. Dobbins for the full year. So, again, that was, you know, they're not in the full year yet. It was 312, 1,919 for the two top Georgia guys right now. J.K. Dobbins in 2019, yards from scrimmage, 324 cut touches, 2,250. So that's better. That's J.K. Dobbins, 6.9 yards per touch. The top two Georgia guys, Nathan, 6.2 yards per touch. So they're not quite as good combined as 2019 J.K. Dobbins. But if we were like, oh, their running back is like 90% of J.K. Dobbins. would be like, oh, watch out for that. It's like, well, that it is. It's just two but that's the kind of production that they get from these guys. They keep them fresh. They run it. They throw it. And I, and Kenny McIntosh, like first among equals, man, he's a good player. He's physical. He hits holes. You run back the, through the film and you're watching guys. Kendall Milton had one. It's like you slow it down and the inside hole's not there. But then right as he's getting to it, you see the inside hole that opens up and he hits it and he's gone. And it's like, oh, that. Nathan, these backs, I think, are for real. Yeah. No, I agree that they're, they're for real. They, um, you know, you don't see the things that when you watch film, uh, even sometimes Ohio State this year, they are, have just been killer. Like, you know, the no dancing in the. Uh, not as much anyway, like the, the dancing in the holes is like more just quick jukes and hitting holes and gone, um, staying low, keeping the legs churning. I mean, McIntosh is, you know, all the things that people like about Mayan Williams, like McIntosh is that, but better just, just grinding away yards and kind of churning through people. There was a play in the, um, in the LSU game, they were third and five from like inside their own 30 or 35 and they ran it and got it. Like this is the team that is confident in running the ball. And so that plays into what you were saying before about the way Monken will kind of keep the reins on, on, on Bennett. I think he can do that partially because of just the confidence that they have in their ability to plug away for four yards at a time and, and get the offense 
keeping it keeping it rolling that way. So this is going to be it, it's such a defense that it's a defense has done such a good job, Ohio State's defense, of stopping the run this year. Um, I know they had the escape valves that leaked open against Michigan there late, but for the most part, like this is you know Eichenberg and Chambers playing off of this defensive line. It has worked so well all year, and I think this is going to be as as big a test as they've had because. Um, but at the same time, it might be the one place where Ohio State can change this game the most. If you can, if you can, you know, kind of flatline Georgia in its running production, how does that let you stop it in other ways? If these three, in theory, look like what Ohio State wanted to do this year with Travion Mine and Devin Pryor, and just like how they use them. Yeah, I mean they they will. They will run like they run Kendall Milton for real. Like in yeah. you know, again, it's only seventy-two carries, but it's like he has like he's a real two role less every games, game. Yeah. He's played two less games in them as well because he's been dealing with some injuries. But but yes, it's the, the the idea of like let's just if you take these names off and you put Travion as McIntosh because he's the guy, especially being used in the passing game, and then you got De- Dejan um, Edwards. He's the second guy. That's Mayan Williams, and then Kendall Milton is Evan Pryor. I mean, that's this is the model of what Tony Alford was going for this year with those three obviously didn't work out that way, but I mean, Georgia has successfully done it. They just do it more often because they rely more on their running game than their pass game. And they always, I mean, they still, they throw it, they throw it more than they'd run it. They throw it more than Ohio state throws it. So, I mean, like, again, this is not Michigan. I think there are, there are similarities in the connectivity of the offense and the artistry of the play calling and in the way they can be physical with the offensive line. These were the two finalists for the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line. Michigan won, but the other finalist was Georgia. And we'll talk about their offensive line here in a bit. They just don't run it as often as Michigan. But, yeah, this is interesting. That th- th- This is kind of always what Georgia's done. It's like like they had Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, mm-hmm. and they also had Todd Gurley on the year before that, and they had all mm-hmm. three guys. And it's why Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb were both drafted in the top 35. And then last year they had two guys. They had James Cook and – the other guy's name is escaping me right now, but they were both draft picks. And then they had these three guys. Like, this is how they do it. They've always done it this way. I don't know what it is philosophically about Georgia that's like, well, we don't have a lead back here. That's the thing at Ohio State. As much as they say they want to do that, Ohio State also traditionally, and the Ryan Day era included, has been very happy to say, if you're ready, we'll give you 25 carries a game if we, we think you can be effective. We're more than willing to do that. Georgia, like, kind of just doesn't do that anyway. But they they are it is they have the skill and talent of a lead back. They just choose to divide it up. So they do run patiently. They do run. You will see them at times that like they'll wait for a hold open, and you do see this offensive line move people. This offensive line, Nathan, there are plenty of times. I think there was another third down play. I don't think it was the same one you're talking about. It's a different game. They ran on third and seven. They will run on third and medium without even thinking about it. They ran on third and seven, and the back got eight yards before he was touched. And then he wound up getting 20 on third and seven. He got the first down without a hand on him in a game that mattered. And then he got 12 more after that. And it was like, okay, well, I don't, how, what do you do with that? But this offensive line, I don't, it feels like it doesn't have a weak spot. And they just push people around. And there are the things, right, just like you saw with Michigan, you'll see these run plays where they pull two guys and it's like, okay, well, there's a hole that a train could drive through. Again, Nathan, they don't lean on the run game the same way Michigan does, but when they're running it well, when they're pulling back the reins on Stetson, they look like Michigan. 
And I was like, oh, are you going to run it nine straight times and march down the field in seven-yard chunks? Yes, that is what they are going to do here, and they're incredibly effective at it. It's a very good offensive line. And it, is, it works so well with what they do defensively, too. Like, you're shutting teams down, and then you're going on those long drives and and just shortening the game, shortening the game, shortening the game for every opponent, putting that much pressure on an opposing offense, and next time it gets back on the field against your defense. It's just a really well um, orchestrated, really well, how do you want to say it? like choreographed uh, yin and yang between the offense and defense for, for this team, like this program. It knows what it is, much like Michigan has kind of ascended to. Like it, it knows what it is, and it executes it well. All right. Anything else we need to talk about um, with the Georgia offense? We really have not talked much about the receivers. I mean, again, they will they will take shots at times, um, as we have talked about. Um, A.D. Mitchell is kind of like their guy who is their best guy to take shots to. He's had an ankle injury all year. But he's back now, and I do think he could be a factor in this game, but he's basically done nothing all year, Steven. But it's just, you know, they 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 have, you know, they're you know, their best receiver from last season transferred to Alabama before the year. So it's it's not where they start. McConkey's solid. McConkey's good. He's not as dangerous to me as the tight ends. And I think, you know, he's just he's a guy who will run good routes and, you know, make some plays in the middle of the field sometimes. But um I don't know. It's one of those things. If they if they blow coverages, Stephen, and miss tackles like they get against Michigan, it doesn't matter who your receiver is. Like yeah. I don't think we watch Michigan be like, oh, Cornelius Johnson tore Ohio State apart. No. It's like, well, he broke one tackle and they blew a coverage and he caught a seventy five yard pass with nobody around him. Like literally, put receiver's name here would have done that. So if right. Ohio State's defense does that, it doesn't matter who the receiver is because Stetson Bennett will throw to a wide open dude seventy five yards down the field. I think A.D. Mitchell's the guy who maybe has the skill to hurt you on his own, but I, I just, they're not, that's not, they throw the ball to the tight ends of the receivers basically as much as any team in the country. And I think there's, a, that's a part of this, Stephen, that I think is a good matchup for this Ohio State defense that if the weakness is the corners, mm-hmm. I don't, this is, this is not defending Jordan Addison. You know, this is not, you know, if they blow coverage, it doesn't matter. But I don't think these are individual talented receivers who are going to spin the corners around in circles all night. No, Mitchell's played four games. He's got five catches. It's just, it's even hard to even fathom him having a role until you see him out there at this point. It's just do the Michigan game without the five bad plays is the best thing that you can say to these cornerbacks right now. Because it's – George has been pretty impressive, but they've only played four top 50 defenses, and all those defenses for the – I mean, four – Top 50, um, yeah. And all those defenses are closer to 50 than they are one. And that was Missouri, M- Mississippi State, Kentucky, and LSU. Uh, they blew them out the wire in all those situations. But at the same time, it's not like Ohio State's played a lot of dominant offenses either. The two good, the two top 50 offenses they played this year are Penn State and Michigan. And so you got this matchup where on paper, both teams look like they've had a quality season, but you're not really sure because the sample size isn't big enough. All we know really is these cornerbacks haven't been getting it done. So, do they stay disciplined? Is our guys healthy? Like is Tanner McAllister healthy to keep a slot receiver from, you know, breaking them off and breaking open for a 70 yard touchdown pass and so forth and so forth. Really, it, oddly enough, this game is going to come down to can the cornerbacks not make 
you know, boneheaded mistakes and allow them to maybe take away Brock Bowers and, and Washington maybe a little bit more, even if they don't completely shut them down, can you put more of your focus on there because you feel like your corners are better just because they're healthier? A.D. Mitchell played 15 snaps in the SEC championship game, didn't have a catch. Again, it's like a, I think it was like a week two ankle injury, just been trying to come back all year. So I think you have to anticipate that component of this will be better than it has been for Georgia all year. It's not it's not that dissimilar from what they had with George Pickens last year, where George Pickens was by far their best receiver and was trying to come back all year, come back, come back, come back, and they finally got him back at the end of the year. Um, I don't think this guy's as good as George Pickens. Man, I love George Pickens. He would have been a good Brown until he's a Steeler. Okay. He's really good. I like George. Uh, every time I get started talking about George Pickens, I get mad. I, I'm not going to talk about George Pickens. Okay, so that's Georgia offense. Now we're going to talk about the Ohio State defenders that are going to be very needed in this game. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 614-350-3315. If you want to be a tech subscriber, you're in the window now. You'd get all of our stuff up through the semifinal on December 31st. Steven, we'll start with you. Who's a guy that's jumping out to you that Ohio State really needs defensively? It's a human being that I never thought I'd ever say about in a situation like this, ever. But I think this is a Tommy Eichenberg 15-plus tackle game just because of how they use these running backs, both in the run game and the passing game. Uh, there are times when you know, Stetson Bennett does like to get out of the you know the, the the, the the formation a little bit and maybe scramble a little bit. Can he chase him down him along with Steel Chambers? But this this feels like a can Tommy Eichenberg time after time after time take something that was set up for maybe a four yard gain and make it a two yard game, or can he stop a screen pass that ooh if he breaks off this tackle this might be a sixty yard touchdown and instead Tommy Eichenberg knocked him down at the line of scrimmage and so it just ends up being a a, a, net, a net negative play for for Georgia. I, I just in a different way than what the, the Rose Bowl was when he had 15 tackles. But I think if he has a similar stat line, that means he was pretty active and pretty disruptive and, you know, really messing up a lot of things that Georgia likes to do. And I think this is a perfect game for him. Got to shed blocks. They're going to get mm-hmm. interior offensive linemen to the second level. Got to beat blocks. And then on, they're going to throw those swing passes. They're going to throw those screens. And you've seen – we have seen Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers both at times make plays like this, but you got to get yeah. out and get the angle and make those tackles on those guys on swing passes before they can get started to make those ankle tackles. And and I do think there's going to be times when Tommy Eichenberg is going to have to be sideline to sideline, and there's times when Tommy Eichenberg is going to have to put his his nose um, in a guard and throw him to the side and make a tackle on a running back up the middle because they will hit holes up the middle. So I think Eichenberg is a good one. Nathan, like, can the linebackers do it? Like, this is, again, this is a very good offensive line, just like Michigan, with a very cohesive play-calling structure. Is this, let's go, Ohio State linebackers ready for this, or is this, could this offensive line be a real problem for them? Well, uh, I think the offensive line could be a problem with them, but I think it's also a matchup that, I mean, Knowles turned 
linebacker into his strength this year. We have not really had much cause to complain about or critique the performance of linebackers this year. And now, having said that, some of the th- ways, as we're talking about, that they attack with their running backs uh, are counter to the ways that Ohio State has had success with its linebackers. Like s- firing Tommy Eichenberg downhill towards the backfield doesn't necessarily help you if they run one of those swing passes, obviously, right? So it's like things have to sync up the right way. I think both linebackers need to have big games. I think it's a big game for Steel Chambers, too. Zeno one that's got to maybe be a little bit more out in space, roaming and and chasing some of those guys down in, in those opportunities. Eichenberg also should be healthier than he was in the last time we saw him. Like those hands, you can put him in an ice bath every day between now and New Year's Eve or whatever and, and heal them up a little bit. I think that probably makes him better. Um, but I also, you know, how much are those guys going to be forced to be involved with the tight ends? Do you leave those completely to the safeties or, or do Chambers and or Eichenberg have to get on those guys sometimes? And is that, is that an advantageous matchup for Georgia each time that happens? All right, Nathan, who you got? Who's an Ohio state defender that needs to stand up in this game. So this is uh, it's this isn't as much of a theory as, as what you threw out there with the um, having Paris Johnson move back to guard in, in the last episode we did, but it's something we already talked about uh, that I think could be significant, and it's Jack Sawyer, and is the Jack the solution to some of the things that Georgia does well? You can better disguise your pressures against this veteran quarterback who has has seen a lot of things now over the past two years, but now maybe you can throw something at him that not only he hasn't seen, but that you haven't even shown on film this year. That's the other part of it. Like this is the Jack is kind of the best vehicle to start adding in new wrinkles to a defense that you have not shown yet. Um, And then this also, there's some things you can do just with Sawyer um, or whoever you have at the Jack, like he can drop back in coverage sometimes, disguise your coverages a little bit. He can hang back and be that extra defender against the run because Knowles was talking the last time we talked to him about the Jack was talking about how important it is to uh, or how, how big of a weapon that was supposed to be against the run. I think like, that was that was its original design. We think of it more in terms of edge rushing, but it's really more about run stopping. And to, to that extent, you know, Georgia does a lot with, you know, um, mixing up its formations and doing things with misdirection. And does the Jack help neutralize some of that? Because now your defender isn't where they were expecting and pre-snap, you move that guy pre-snap into the, now he's occupying the space where that run is going. So just something I've been thinking about as I was watching these games, you know, Kentucky had some success against Georgia. Kentucky very, very, very rarely used a standard four man front. It was often, three down linemen with a guy standing up on the edge and usually even like a fifth guy down. So uh, just what will Jim Knowles do that's that's new, that's something that maybe they haven't put on film a bunch yet this year, and it seems like the Jack would be a very convenient vessel to do that through. So I feel like you just said the thing that I said the thing going into the Michigan game, yep. and I felt hornswoggled. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but the but – this is a, another month of like scheming it up, teaching it. I, I, that's why I'm keeping it on the table. Um, I agree with what you're saying about that. It didn't go where we thought it would against Michigan. I don't think that means you can dismiss it as an option in this circumstance. I mean, I just, they've been working on it since the spring. It's like, why would, 
what, like an extra 40 days now? Now you can use it? I thought they were, like, I was like, yes, this is it. They've been building up to the Michigan game that they've been thinking about for 365 days. Aha! We finally have a vision of what the Jack is like. Nope. It's like, why? But why would it be different? Like, you, like, I just, I'm not disputing you. I'm disputing Jim Knowles' use of it. Like, what would be different about this other than more time? Is there something that would lead us to more impact from the Jack in this game than in the Michigan game that was the most important game in the last 10 years of Ohio State football? Yeah, I, I think you. that's a good point. Um, and it's, I'm still surprised that it wasn't a bigger part of the Michigan game. But again, if there, there also is the element of this where it's not just about at its best, and it's something that they've only done a little bit with the Jack, but at its best, I mean, he's moving around a lot. He's dropping back in coverage more. Now that gives you another guy in the middle of the field, clogging up an area where we've said that Georgia likes to attack. I just, I'm, I'm very intrigued by whether it is, I don't think they come out and make the Jack the base by any means. I think they're going to be a four, a four down base again in this game, but do they, do they use it more? Do they use it more aggressively? Do they use it more, even more extensively uh, in a game like this? I'm having a problem trying to figure out <laughs> what it looks like for him. To, I, I don't not agree with Nathan at all. I do think that it's about time that Jack Sawyer just like had a, a game as a dude who's like a five-star recruit going into his third year, basically. But I just, given the way we've talked about how Georgia's offense operates, given the fact that we really have never seen it in any level of glory this year, I'm just, I don't know what it looks like. If if we're, let's just say we're doing the post-game pod at the wee hours of the morning, Ohio State's won, and they won on the back of Jack Sawyer went crazy as the Jack. What does that even look like? Because I'm having a hard time picturing it right now just because we haven't seen any level of flash against a quality opponent enough to be able to confidently say it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this is another game. It's there's enough similarities between Georgia and Michigan where I think we could just say, "What does Ohio State need to do defensively in this game?" and just run back what we said in the Michigan game while inserting, "Don't give up gigantic pass plays because you screwed stuff up." Which again, like that's well, is that scheme? I don't know. The, the The third one was scheme. They ran the two routes and cross guys and got the you know they forced that coverage and then the other one. You know, they ran right at Cam Martinez when he was in the game. So um, I would assume they are working incredibly hard on not giving up huge plays. So I, 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 you've got to have it on your mind. It's worth talking about, Nathan, because it's, I think it's the way that Ohio State fans should be thinking because you're trying to see, you know, it's this thing we've been waiting for all year. But there's a little bit of like, well, okay. Like, I, I certainly hope you weren't saving it for the playoff. It's like, oh, let's not show it against Michigan. Let's assume that we back in as the four seed and then we'll do it. It's like, okay. So I am going to go with, so here's the thing. If we said, and we're not going to pretend we're experts on individual Georgia offensive line players, because we're not going to become experts watching a few plays. They, as a group, get a push. They have been acknowledged by the Joe Moore Award as one of the two best offensive lines in the country. I don't think there's a weak link. But I don't, I also, I don't, I don't know. I don't think they have Paris Johnson. Like, I don't think they have a guy who's going to be a top 15 pick this year. Right. So if you said 
Steven, just generally, I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. It, when you say Georgia's defense, let's name the extraordinary individual players on Georgia's mm-hmm. defense. We'd run down a long list. Who are the extraordinary individual players on Georgia's offense? Bowers. My point is, I I think the list is shorter, significantly shorter than the same question for Georgia defense, right? Which is why you took a breath because it's like, oh, right? Which is obvious, but also I think we're talking about. Even their offense, looking at the PFF grades, I mean, they're not something special. They're just, they're all... Mid to high seventies, they're, they're just quality. Yeah. You do your job well. Like the highest rated guy is Chad Lindenberg, or I think he's a freshman. So that just shows you what their future is going to be. They're very much their their offense. If their defense has a bunch of A plus players, but then maybe there's a C player here, a C player there, but there's enough A plus players that it doesn't matter where the C guys are. I think everybody outside of Brock Bowers on Ohio on Georgia's offense is probably a. C plus to B plus range, which is how you get an offense who does just enough to not get in the way of a crazy defense. And the whole, right, is stronger than the parts. Yes. Because we're talking about the connectivity. We're talking about the way they do things when they get on a roll, all those things. The line definitely gets a push. So I guess my point is I'm going to pick somebody who I think has the chance to be an extraordinary individual player. In this game. And could JT Tuimolowau change this game? So when you look at the two offensive lines, both offensive lines for Georgia and Ohio State, according to PFF, have given up 54 pressures this year, the exact same amount of pressures. Georgia in 13 games, Ohio State in 12. When you look individually, the guy who has given up the most pressures for Georgia, it's only 11. It's Xavier Trust, who's one of their guards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of their tackles have given up Eight pressures. Yeah. By comparison, and this just helps us think about it, for Ohio State, Donovan Jackson, a guard, has given up the most pressures for Ohio State. It's 11. And then the two tackles for Ohio State, Paris Johnson, 10, and Dewan Jones, 4. So the two Ohio State tackles combined have given up 14 pressures. The Georgia tackles combined have given up 16 pressures. I think there's a chance for an extraordinary game. So now if you say that, right, well, you know, Georgia defensively, like they're going to bring all kinds of pressure and they're going to do things to you. Know, oh, Jalen Carter, what are you doing? Oh, Keely Ringo, I don't know. And oh my God, the the guy on the stackhouse guy on the nose is good. What Luke, you just don't go there as much with Georgia. So what if JT just can beat the tackle four times and blow stuff up and get Stetson Bennett a little wiggly? back there, right? I guess. Now, the one thing about it, this is not to take away from the JT2 Imolowau game at all against Penn State, Nathan, but like a lot of those plays were like jumping up and batting balls. I mean, he had the one where like he got the strip sack, right? But he didn't, he didn't have nine sacks. He was making incredible athletic plays, right? He didn't necessarily like just smoke the tackle every time and make that play, but just like that. All right. Bat a ball. Like, get in his face and do something. I think JT, if we said there's going to be 22 players on the field for the first snap that Georgia's offense takes, let's play the game of who's the best football athlete. I think Ohio State have a, probably have more guys in the top five, top eight, than Georgia would in that moment. And maybe JT's first, so let's see what that can produce. 
And sometimes you say, hey, man, I, you know, it's like, does Georgia have a tackle as good as Peter Skaronsky? Do they have a tackle as good as the Penn State tackle? Like, we've, they've seen some good tackles this year, man. P- Big Ten has some good tackles. Georgia's excellent. Okay. I think there's an opening for an extraordinary individual talent to have a, a, a huge impact on this game. And so I'll think maybe that's JT Tuimolo, Nathan. He was on my list. And it's partially because I think when you're playing an NFL asset, which is what Bowers is, do you have one you can counter with? And not head-to-head. Like, they're not going to match up against each other all that much, obviously, in, in almost any way. But when, when that guy is damaging you, how can you damage them back? Do you have a talent like that? And I'm not saying that JT Tuimoloau as a defensive end is as ready for the NFL as Bowers is as a tight end because he's not. But can he get in there? And as you're saying, can he affect this game? Um, I was going to get into this later when we talk about what OSU's defense needs to do to be successful. But just to finish some of what you were saying, like Georgia has allowed seven sacks this year. I mean, seven sacks all year. That's not much. Seven in 13 games. And he, you don't take him down very much. He's he's slippery on his own. They they protect him well. Some of that is having two tight ends in the game and enhances that protection. So you're not going to get a lot of sacks against him. I don't think that maybe JT Tuimoloau, I don't expect him or Harrison or whoever to go in and pile up a bunch of sacks. But can you harass him? Can you make him throw on your terms? You know, he's he's we've talked before about him being a pretty good thrower on the run. Um, and he'll also actually stand in there and make tough throws sometimes because he's got that quick release. So we saw several examples of that as we were rewatching games. But just because he can throw well on the run doesn't mean he'll still do that if you're making him do it on your terms. So, you know, make him run in a way that he wasn't expecting to run. Make him have to make decisions, make throws in uh, unexpected ways and see what kind of mistakes you can draw out of him that way. I mean, that, I think that's the Georgia only allow seven sacks. That's a that goes both ways too. I, I don't think we brought this up on that pod, but I mean, CJ has only been sacked eight times. Only once has the team done it more than once. So this team, we're talking, we're talking about two teams who do have some guys who are a bit of a problem with a defensive line. Can either one of them kind of make the other offense do something that's out of the norm in terms of protection. But I, to the point where of JT in that Penn state game and how a lot of that was batted down passes and picking off stuff. I think that's a more important skill in this game than the sacks because Georgia doesn't necessarily allow them because of how they run their offense, I would go out. Of, we do our register predictions. I'm, I'm actually thinking about making one of mine that JT has another pick six, just because what if Georgia throws four screen passes in the first half and each time JT is over aggressive and then they go on the halftime and Larry's in his face going, stop being over aggressive. You know, when the screen is coming, read your keys and be patient. And then the very next time Georgia tries to throw one, instead of going to try to get Stetson Bennett, JT's a little bit more disciplined and allows the defender to take him a little bit. And then he picks it off. Cause that's what happened against Penn state. He didn't even try to rush. He knew what was coming. And so he just stood up and picked it off instead of going into a rush. I think that's a way more valuable skill. If you get into a situation with a rhythm offense, if, Stetson Bennett just starts doing stuff because it's just like how his muscle memory is. And then all of a sudden JT picks off a ball and a key point in the game. So the sacks, yes, disrupt the game, all that stuff, you know, pressure the quarterback. But I think JT's most important skill is his anticipation at the offense. He was a tight end in high school. So he uses some of those skills at the line of scrimmage when he doesn't get home. I think better than anybody I've seen since I've been on this beat. No, I think that's well said. I think like that idea of, Here's a swing pass that is supposed to work, except 
there was an NBA power forward playing defensive right. end who jumped up and knocked it out of the air in a way that nobody ever expected, like that kind of idea. Um, and that's all they need. So I do think, you know, again, when we talked about Jalen Carter, we didn't talk about Jalen Carter getting sacks for Georgia. We talked about Jalen Carter being disruptive. You know, maybe maybe it's not about sacks in this game, but it's can you disrupt? And I do think both defensive lines have a, have guys who have a chance to do that. And I just think it's particularly important with Stetson Bennett. So when we come back, we're going to present our theories of the case, how we think this might go. Ohio State defense versus Georgia offense. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. You guys can read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Also get subscribed to our YouTube channel. You go on YouTube, you put in like cleveland.com and Ohio State or whatever. It'll come up. You'll find it. And you can make sure you get all our videos there. All right, Nathan, we'll start with you. How do you think this shakes out in this battle? Um, How do you think it shakes out in this battle? It's actually the whole question. I could have just said that. It'd be like nine words, and now it's 68. We've already talked about a lot of the the main things I put down. One thing I wanted to bring up, though, Georgia's lost 10 fumbles this year. It was a factor in why Kent State was able to kind of hang around in that game. Uh, They actually, for as good as this defense is, they have one more turnover than takeaway this year. They're negative one in turnover ratio. Um, They they lost the fumble on the opening drive against Tennessee that I think you you were mentioning earlier um, in, in another context. Like, I think this is an opportunity for Ohio State to steal some possessions. And I think they, they might need to in a game that they're thinking that they're going to have to score 40 some points, but against a, a, or high thirties, but the defense is this good. The offense is this methodical. You probably need to steal a possession somewhere. I think that might be uh, semi-crucial if Ohio state wants to win this game. All right, Steven, what are you thinking about overall? This, uh, I keep coming back to the corners and the idea of just, can they do that? Are they healthy enough to just do their job? Because it felt like everything was fine for Ohio State in that Michigan game until the corners just weren't able to do their job, whether it was camera. It's one thing that you're going to give up some catches. That's just how life on that island works. But it's how the the Cameron Brown, he gave up a catch, but it ends up being a seven-yard touchdown. The ones against Penn State where Parker Washington got loose. Can these corners keep from letting other people who should not have that big of a role and should not have this big of an impact on who wins or loses keep that from happening? Because against Michigan, they couldn't. Against Penn State, Ohio State was able to overcome that. And so uh, it's the only because the Brock Byers thing is going to be a thing regardless of who Ohio State puts on them. Can these corners just keep everybody else from being, from, you know, having a, a bigger impact than they should? Well, but, but also, like when you think about the Michigan big plays, the Michigan big plays, it's the Cam Brown missed tackle. It's Lathan Ransom was the guy who felt like he kind of get got turned around on the coverage on the last touchdown. It's running right at Cameron Martinez. It's yeah. Ronnie Hickman pass interference in the end zone, which Ronnie Hickman, by the way, thinks is should not have been pass interference. He thought he went straight up and that it was an uncatchable ball. So he was not happy about that. And then I think the one early one from JJ McCarthy, maybe it looked like it was Denzel Burke, but that's only if there's five big plays, that's only two corners. So I, it didn't feel like 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 the secondary can't blow coverages. But this receiving core and its ability for Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson and Cam Brown and whoever's on the field, their ability to line up, and as long as they're not blowing coverages to hang with the receivers, I think is I think is okay. Are you mostly talking about, Stephen, blowing coverages, or do you think there's like some 50-50 balls, oh, no, that no, kind no, of no, stuff, no. be physical? 
Yeah, it, well, it's a little bit of both. I think the 50-50 ball stuff was more these guys weren't healthy, so they weren't being as physical as they needed to be. And Denzel Burke has proven that for like the last two or three weeks of the season. It is more the blown coverage stuff because he just – that lost you a game. You didn't lose because you were – I mean, you just, that, that's like the most – it might only be three or four plays. It was only five plays against Michigan, but it cost them the game. So it's more of that stuff than it is – can you cover? Because the coverage has not been the issue. The issue has been typically after a receiver has caught a ball and it should have just been a routine 16 yard gain and instead it's a touchdown. I will be curious, Nathan, because part of it is we didn't necessarily expect Michigan to do what it did, but Michigan felt like it tried to identify a weakness in the Ohio State defense and then maybe got outside of its norm and take those shots. I'm curious how Todd Monken and Kirby Smart are thinking about this, having watched the Michigan game. Yes, Georgia likes to take shots. Will they take even more because they still think this Ohio State secondary is vulnerable in that way? Well, the other thing that's going to happen, and yes, we can talk all day about the safeties having to what, what they're going to do as far as matching up with Bowers. But like, if, if Todd Market and Smart is all, we've seen other offensive coordinators do this this year. These cornerbacks are going to have to cover Bowers at some point. Like Georgia's going to make that matchup happen and it's a terrible matchup. So how do those guys step up? It's not going to be who they're going to have to do all game, but all it takes is once in the red zone and that's seven points and every seven points is huge in any game, but especially a game like this. So that's something to remember too, that Georgia is scheming to try to take its best weapon right now and use it against Ohio state's perceived weakness. And that's something that Ohio state's got to be ready for. So in watching the Missouri game and then reading stuff about it afterward, when Georgia really was very, very close to losing, uh, I think his name is Brad Baker, Blake Baker, Blake Baker, what is the uh, defensive coordinator for Missouri. And they were talking about it in the, in the, during the broadcast that that guy loves to bring pressure and dials up a million different things and is trying to confuse quarterbacks. And they did blitz a lot in that game. And, as I thought, we talked about it a million times. I thought Jim Knowles's aggressiveness opened the door for Michigan in that game. And I thought J.J. McCarthy was the kind of quarterback where you didn't want to blitz him. I'd rather sit back and make him make throws. And I thought Ohio State was too aggressive. But you talk to Ohio State people afterward and they want to be aggressive. As much as there are similarities between Stetson Bennett and J.J. McCarthy, I think I want to blitz Stetson Bennett. Because I think if you sit back on Stetson Bennett, I am, I think he has a greater ability to rip stuff. I think if Jim Knowles has an instinct to be aggressive, especially early, I think that might better serve Ohio State against Stetson Bennett than it served J.J. McCarthy. And when we talked about C.J. Stroud, we talked about versus the Blitz and not against the Blitz. According to PFF, Stetson Bennett's been blitzed 32% of the time this year, 68% of the time he's not blitzed. His completion percentage is similar. His yards per attempt, he's 8.9 yards per attempt when he's not blitzed, 8.3 when he is blitzed. Only one of his six picks came against the blitz, according to PFF. His overall offensive grade for PFF is much higher, 85.8 when not blitzed, 77.9 when he is blitzed. His NFL QB rating is pretty similar so it's not like statistically he completely falls apart but i would be interested in ohio state trying to trying to throw him off his game and so i thought that was wrong i thought as it turned out it was the wrong thing to do against jj mccarthy make jj mccarthy beat you 
This time I would say, get after Stetson Bennett and don't let him beat you. Don't let confident Stetson Bennett the fourth emerge. Rattle him. Get him. Try to force an early mistake. And if he gets you, he gets you. The guy won a national championship last year, right? But but if that's what I think Ryan Day wants to be aggressive and Jim Knowles wants to be aggressive, I think that just might Steven serve them better in this game than it did in the last game, where I felt like it began their downfall. I do think Ohio State should blitz Stetson Bennett early. And and if, you know, Jim, I, the idea of like, hey, there have been times in the past when Ohio State is going to play a team and say, we're going to rush four and line up a man coverage. Stetson Bennett's, you know, not the greatest. He's not Patrick Mahomes, but I, I don't know if that would work. Confuse him get after him and see what happens. And also you're playing with house money. You're playing with house money. You're the underdog. Like, let it all hang out. Like the Michigan game, you're not playing with house money because the Michigan game Mm -hmm. is like, you better win. You better win. You better win. Oh my God, you're blowing coverages. Why did you blitz there? This is like, wow, I thought we were dead. Blitz him. Get after him, man. I think it's, I think it's different. I do think it's a different approach to me that might better fit what they want to do anyway. That under pressure is very, very drastic it sticks out like a the blitz thing he's decent when he gets blitz it's just when he's rattled when he gets blitz it's, it's only 17.8 percent of the time that he's actually under pressure and he's 41.9 percent of his completion so it's like if you blitz him enough that he starts getting a little bit of rattled i wonder what that looks like because that is not a big sample size that he has to work with and how he handles being under pressure like that so if you're combining that with an offense that's doing what it's supposed to do so now it's like Oh, I'm under pressure because I got to keep up with this offense. But also, I'm a little rattled because I don't know if Tony Eichenberg is going to come in that A gap right there. Or still, Chambers is coming around. Or are they going to send Lathan Ransom? Or did JT or Zach just beat their man one on one? Or is Michael Hall coming up the middle of the field? All of that, that small sample size tells me he's going to fold. Overall, these two podcasts that we did, where we've watched every single play of Ohio State this season, we've been monitoring, you know, you watch Georgia but we dug in, right? My final analysis is I have come away from these two podcasts with an increased chance of Ohio State winning, in my mind, and perhaps, Nathan, a somewhat significantly increased chance of Ohio State winning. And when I think about how these two teams match up, and there are just things in place. And my issue is that I thought there were things that worked in Ohio State's favor in the Michigan game. And then they blew a bunch of coverages and it didn't matter. But when you think about if they can get after Stetson Bennett and that they don't have the receivers that would scare you, I think they do have an ability to handle the tight end throws and the running back throws in a in a decent way that potentially won't destroy them. And the idea that there there's not an Aiden Hutchinson edge guy who is going to come tearing off the edge and just you know destroy the pocket for CJ Stroud, I just don't think that's going to happen. They've got to handle Jalen Carter inside. Yes, the secondary is really good, but I think there's some stuff in the middle of the field. That's my overall. I don't know what percent chance I thought Ohio State had before we started watching, but it has gone up, and it doesn't mean I'm going to pick Ohio State, and it doesn't mean I think Ohio State is even fifty fifty. But I do not think, Nathan, I did not come away from this saying like, well, congrats on making it. Good luck. But it's not going to happen. 
which like, again, like when they were getting ready to play to Sean Watson in 2016 and people were like, I think I'm picking Ohio State. I was like, have you watched Deshaun Watson? What are you doing? You're insane. No, not that. I don't feel that. And it's not just about quarterback, Nathan. George is really good. And the bottom line, I think one of the, one of the things that is most similar about Michigan, I think you just watch them and they're well coached. I just think, I think they look like smart football players. And they have an idea of what they want to do on both sides of the ball, beyond the talent, beyond the talent. But I just think of some things, right? Who's the best edge? Who's the best edge guy in this game? I think it's on Ohio State. Who's the best receiver in this game? I know it's on Ohio State, right? Those are two. Those are two explosive areas, right? Mm-hmm. Getting after the quarterback and making plays in the pass game. Who's the best quarterback in this game? Stetson Bennett has been ruthlessly efficient for a year and a half. CJ Stroud's better. Okay. What do we talk about? Ohio State has to be explosive in moments on both sides of the ball because I think down to down, Georgia will be better. Down to down. But I think Ohio State has the better chance to be explosive. And that is like the thing that every, like that's who they are. That's why they brought in Jim Knowles. And that's, that's what Ryan Day has wanted to be from day one. So I just think. If they don't give up a bunch of 60-yard plays defensively, which allows the opponent to be more explosive, Nathan, I just think there are some things here that could work in their favor. They've got to be great. Ohio State has to be great. CJ's got to hit the throws when he has opportunities. Somebody's got to do something to get Stetson Bennett off his mark, and then they got to tackle him. But I think you can see it, Nathan. At least you can see a path, I think, on both sides of the ball. So you're asking, can Ohio State do to Michigan what Michigan did? Or can Ohio State do to Georgia what Michigan did to Ohio State? Which is maybe that other team is better over the course of 80 plays, but you capitalize so significantly on a few chances that it swings the game. I think that's very much in play. I I think I'm looking at this game very similar to you. Um, but the one thing that I was stuck with as I rewatched all this Georgia is just how what you said before about how well coached and how disciplined and how comfortable in the moment they are. I actually didn't rewatch the Missouri game. So maybe I would have changed my thought there, but even the Kentucky game, which was, as you said, a 16 to six game, it's a game that they're in control of throughout. And Kentucky's actually, maybe there are some metrics that say they're even better defensively than what I think we quoted before. So, when, when you, the the one thing we haven't talked about, we've broken down the offense versus defense, broken down defense versus offense, and then there's the intangibles discussion, and how much do intangibles mm-hmm. influence how you're picking a game like this, predicting uh, a game like this? And Georgia has been on this stage before and capitalized, and Ohio State, we just saw again a game where it seemed like everything was in their favor, and even the the totality of the gameplay, when you look back and break that down, is still in their favor but there's enough breakdowns that they lose it. And how much confidence do you have that they can fix that? Uh, because it isn't necessarily the first time in this two-year period that we've seen that. Obviously, we saw it with Michigan the year before, saw it with Oregon the year before. So are are they? can they do things in this next month mentally or whatever it is to, to get themselves in a place where they don't have those those critical breakdowns that keep them from winning a winnable game against a great team? And even with that question, can Ohio State do to Georgia what Michigan did to Ohio State? Ohio State helped them do that by shooting itself in the foot. Regardless of what game I was watching, it didn't feel like Georgia shot itself in the foot. 
at least not enough for it to actually have. I mean, everybody has penalties, but not in a way that felt like, dude, you just like, like crazily changed the way this game is supposed to play because whether it's headbutting somebody or snapping the ball to the wrong person or a false start at the wrong time, all those little things, Georgia doesn't have those moments. And so Georgia's not going to give the game to you. So if before we did this exercise, I was more just, oh, Georgia's probably going to win because they're the best team in the country. Now I'm more there because of the little nuanced things still. Uh, but I am creeping more towards the mean there. And I do wonder where I'm going to be at by the time we actually have to make picks. But I, did, I do feel better about how the football can play out. The intangibles, as Nathan called it, the, the between the ears, the, the ability to not shoot yourself in the foot and be discippointed, I'm still very – very concerned about because Ohio State for two years now hasn't shown that they can do that when they're on these stages. So I do think when you start making intangibles comparison, I don't think the Oregon game was intangibles. That was like a schematic issue and they were playing young corners who like didn't know what to yeah, do. Sure, and then sure. it was CJ Stroud was young, right? That was like more like a football and thing her. of like you kind of, right? So yes, and, you, and it wasn't the full CJ. And then, so then what else? Then it's the rivalry. Well, this isn't a rivalry. <laughs> Right, so if we're talking, I mean, we're not talking football right now. We're talking intangibles. This well, isn't the rivalry. But Penn State game this year and last year, they were struggling with some penalty stuff. The Nebraska game, they kind of had some issues with that. Uh, uh, there have been other instances outside of just you know a rivalry game when you're adding in that extra. extra well, they're not. Of it. Well, I'm not just talking about penalties. I'm talking about your ability to play your best football oh. and do what needs to be done in the moment, right? I do think they have not handled the Michigan game well for the past two years. I do think last year the Michigan game was more football. It's more Aiden Hutchinson. It's more Blake Corm. It's more offensive line. And I thought this year there was a decent chunk of intangible internal stuff that they did not, I think, for 365 days. And then what they came out and did, I did not think that was the best of them. They did not handle it well. And now they're back from the dead. We've been talking about, Nathan, the intangibles of that. Like, this is the opportunity they never thought they'd get. I think, in general, the idea that Georgia is not going to give this game to Ohio State. Georgia's not going to lose mm-hmm. it. Rewatching the games has increased the idea to me that Ohio State can go win it. But they're going to have to go win it. And so, football stuff, I think they have the ability to go win it. So then, Nathan, everything else, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Like, have the right, the correct level of motivation where you're jacked up, but not too jacked up. Is Ryan Day going to make the right play call in the moment? Right? All those kind of things. I do understand the idea of, yes, I think there's reason to question Ohio State about that. But I think some chunk of that, Nathan, is directly related to playing Michigan, and this is not that. And if you think the underdog thing is a thing, and I think all of us think it's to some degree, right? It feels like the players think it's real, right? Then I think maybe that would lead you closer toward, okay, what is what chance do they have to play their best? I think Ohio State's best game has a pretty decent chance of winning. So then what is the, what are the chances they play their best game? I think there's a decent chance they would play their best game against Georgia. They'd be more likely to do that than play their best game against Michigan. So then that equation to me leads me to, I I think they have a chance. Georgia's not going to give it to you. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're too smart. They're too disciplined. They've been here. 
but I don't know that Ohio State's going to do what it did against Michigan and sort of cut out its own legs, regardless of, of the talent they might have. Yeah, I mean, we, I guess we've already had a little bit of discussion as to how much you you think that that the Michigan losses, because again, I would look at it and say in two football games against top five teams, they lost for two different football reasons. Uh, so again, that's that's some of that's just per, per personal perspective. But I agree with what you're saying in a larger sense that if, if it's more about Georgia is not the kind of team that is just going to fall apart. Like, you know, this is, I mean, this is still their championship that Ohio State and these other three teams are chasing. Like, they, they still own it. They're still the defending national champions. That that title is there for a reason. So, and and they're going to, you know, they're playing in their backyard. There's a lot of incentive for Georgia to, to do something historic here and try to win this thing back to back. So they're not going to give it away. And Ohio State has to rise to the occasion more than it has for whatever reason in a game like this in a couple of years. Specifically on the penalty idea, Ohio State is 50th, tied for 51st in the nation in how many penalty yards per game it accrues. It is averaging 50 penalty yards per game. Georgia is 46th with 48.8 penalty yards per game. So, like, I get it. Like, Ohio State has penalties sometimes. It's not like they're in the 120s for penalty yards, right? I mean, like, everybody hates penalties, but it's not like this thing that, like, is – completely sabotaging what they're doing. So, you know, they can't headbutt people. Um, but um, in the end, I think for Ohio State fans, there's no reason to look at this and be like, um, oh, that's it. You can't do it. You know, which I think, I think initially that was some of the reaction from fans as soon as they got paired with Georgia was like, oh, great. Oh, Georgia. And I just, I don't, I don't think it should be that. Georgia's really good. Don't discount Georgia. But I, I would not discount Ohio State either in this matchup. So we'll have to see what we pick. We'll have to see what we pick. I, I, there are times when it's like, well, I'm definitely not picking Ohio State. I know that. That's not where I am. That's not where I am. I, if you, I, I don't know. Steven, you said you don't know. Like, that's where I, I don't know who I'm going to pick right now. No, I, I'm still leaning Georgia. I guess that's the best I could give right now. Is that a fair place that you guys would say yeah. you are as well? Yeah. Still, I'm leaning Georgia, but I'm not like far. I'm more closer to 50-50 than I am. Just outright Georgia is going to win this game. Where are we even going? Ohio State's given me some reasons. Yeah. Maybe more than I expected has given me some reasons to pick Ohio State. I don't know, Nathan, if Ohio State has given me enough reasons yet. But there have – I don't want to say there's cracks in Georgia, but I think when you look at Georgia and you just see what they do well, it also – it doesn't seem impossible. I think there were times last year with Georgia, especially defensively, where it was like, well, I don't know. What do you, like, what do you – what does anybody do against that group, you know? I don't know. Even after the Michigan loss, when it, when, when it looked like this could still happen and then it ended up happening – I don't think I thought of it as impossible. I, I've always thought that there's a there's an opportunity for Ohio State here. But the other thing that's still hanging out there is finding out exactly how healthy they are and, and maybe exactly getting an, an indication of what they can or will do schematically. We'll find out some more things when we get down to Atlanta, um, hopefully, that, that lead us towards getting a, a more educated uh, footing to make that final prediction. All right, that'll do it for this podcast. The Thursday pod will be a reaction to National Signing Day on Wednesday. You certainly can go read 
all about the recruits who are joining Ohio State's class on Wednesday at cleveland.com slash OSU. But Thursday, we'll come back and break down everything Ryan Day said. He'll have a news conference on Wednesday to talk about this class. And the Wednesday pod, I'm not exactly sure what it'll be, but it'll be about Ohio State, Georgia. So, you know, we're dipping in and out. There's obviously recruiting stuff going on, but they're also in the playoffs, so we'll focus on that. For now, we appreciate you guys. Making Buckeye Talk part of your week for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.